Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. So this week we had no PMQs. Uh, Parliament have gone on a break for Easter, gone on their Easter holes. So we don't have any flogging to do this week. And as a result, we're just going to kick off, I guess, into the rundown of the week. So, do you want to kick off with uh, protests? I do want to kick off with protests. I think we've uh, covered them a few times now. They are still going because until, quote unquote, the bill is killed, I think people still need to be making their voices heard, as I think I said in previous weeks. And also to, you know, reiterate that the bill isn't just curtailing freedoms with regards to protest. It is also curtailing freedoms of the GRT community, which is the Gypsy, Roma and Traveller community. And that is a lot of what the protests have been about in Bristol um, and Manchester and Bath as well. So that I think that was just a short thing to say that protests are still are going on. Keep an eye out with your local protests and activist communities if you want to get involved as well. You know, you can let your MPs know how dissatisfied you are, but let's keep the momentum going. I have quite a lot of confidence that there they'll there will at least be serious amendments for the bill maybe i'm just being optimistic um but i haven't like seen yeah i haven't seen i haven't seen the amount and the range of backlash to a proposed law in in a good three in a good few years mm. i uh, you know from from all corners not just from the usual corners not just from the sort of civil liberties corners not just from opposition mps but across the board and also crucially as we've been speaking about you know from from the general public in terms of protests uh we're recording on saturday april 3rd and uh your 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 prime minister in an alternative universe i saw this morning is scheduled or was scheduled to uh, speak at a protest today i killed a bill protest today uh the right honorable jeremy corbyn so um i was about so, you to know, say I'm, who my prime minister is and i was unsure for a second like, well it wasn't going to be scary. the other guy <laughs> And uh, but not just him. I, I, you know, as I said, I saw that today. Other MPs have been very vocal. Uh, I think another there was another MP the other week who was also at a protest. So there's a there's there's a there's a groundswell there clearly, and um, hopefully it should lead to a serious watering down of this bill where it needs to be watered down. We don't need to go back over all the elements that we both disagree with in different areas as we've done over the past couple of weeks. That's a plug. Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening for the first time, check out the first two episodes. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic. I am less optimistic than you, but not pessimistic. I would say I'm in the middle. Com si com sa. No, wait, no, that's not the right phrase, is it? No, no. no. I thought we agreed. I'm in that... the middle. Sorry. Yes, did... you, you are right. Yes. I thought we agreed that, that we'd leave the French to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we didn't. Oh, actually, um, speaking of French, uh, we'll add this as a, as a little section at the end. But we did have a response to last week when we were trying to get the name of, Moise of, moi. of Haiti's president correctly. And it seems we were both wrong. Oh, good. What we were both wrong in our pronunciation. Uh, the pronunciation um, was something else. <laughs> we'll put it at the end. It's a voice note. A friend of mine who lives in France, he, he sent okay. me a WhatsApp. And uh, yeah, we'll add the we'll add the WhatsApp on. So skip to the end to hear that to hear him okay. criticize both of our French pronunciation. 
Well, mine was like French pronunciation because I don't think Moise is French, is it? It was still wrong. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's go mm-hmm. to our next mm-hmm. topic. Corruption in politics. Yes, so moving on to our... I would say beleaguered Prime Minister, but he's not really beleaguered, is he? I mean, all of this seems to just wash off him like water off a duck's back. I think that's the saying. I don't know. I'm not an old person. Um, So this stuff with Jennifer Arcuri. Is that her name, Jennifer? Jackie? That's it. That's it. Boris's ex, Jennifer Arcuri. Boris's ex, who he's given £166,000 to in some in her role as whatever it is that she was doing, an IT specialist offering support in a diplomatic way. Well, it wasn't so much giving her money. It was the fact, and well, I see, this is my problem with a lot Mm. of sort of Twitter news, hot takes. And we're going to go into this. Oh, absolutely. Break it down. We're going to go into this, especially with the Mm -hmm. the race report. A case of Boris giving Jennifer money. It was a case of this lady in her capacity as a tech entrepreneur receiving a mm. uh, sort of a, hand, a grant money from, mm. um, from, from the London, from the council, whatever you've got down there. I don't know how you've governed yourselves down there. From, 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 from city hall, basically. So I'm not sa- now let me finish before you carry on before anybody misinterprets what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's no corruption. I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's no evidence of corruption. I'm not saying there's no appearance of corruption. I'm simply mm. saying we should, be accurate in the reporting of the facts and then and then base the analysis on that not based on analysis not based the analysis on just silly and um misleading hot takes continue so have you seen it was she on the 10 o'clock news so we could get a breakdown did we find did it did it get covered on 10 o'clock news what about the 9am news did it how did we get when did we get the breakdown did the did it go out to the general public or was it only on the twitter news was it addressed by our prime minister at all no, it wasn't. I, I, it wasn't. Oh. And I'm, I'm, oh. Listen, like I said, I, I'm, this isn't a defense. Where are the levers of the me. state? Where are the checks and balances? Oh, my God, what's going on? I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think there is, there is, there are, um, there are massive issues when it comes to mm. how funds are apportioned, how government funds are more, moreover, they're not government funds, they're taxpayer funds, they're tax, there, there are go. funds, how they're apportioned, um, who they're given to, why they're given to them. I was mm. reading a piece in the Financial Times this week, which was pretty interesting. I, I thought it was it was quite short. Um, I've definitely been reading more, but it was a great intro and I'll, I'll link it in the, uh, in, in the show notes. And the headline was simply this, British politics is morphing into from delusion into sleaze. And I'll just read a couple of uh, key lines from it. So he says, uh, uh, this new era of sleaze is built upon Johnson's personality, the winner takes all politics of Brexit, the denigration of the civil service and the emergency of coronavirus, which distracts from malfeasance. A laxness that starts from misleading parliament soon flows to, eth- to serious ethical breaches. It is especially alarming when so much public money is being channeled to businesses, which is what I was saying. However, he also says, but sleeve is not just a conservative problem. Labour's Joe Anderson, while Liverpool mayor, was arrested on suspicion of bribery and witness intimidation. Labour's former first minister in Wales, Carwin Jones, ignored official advice. He should not accept a role with the parent company of Grensill leaked steelmaker Liberty Steel. So that's quote, end of quote. I'll also add in there um, for, for partisan balance. Uh, there's the accusation there against the former Labour First Minister of Wales. But that same parent company, Grensill, Cameron 
was lobbying uh, Rishi Sunak for. There's questions of um, the, the the guy who heads Grensil, that uh, it's a capital, Grensil Capital. Um, he was a, an unpaid advisor to Cameron back in 2012. Cameron then went and worked for him two years after leaving, after being prime minister. Um, he goes on to talk about how, you know, Pretty Patel based, oh, this was actually another article I read in the week, uh, I think from The Economist, talking about it was, it, was, it, was, it was about what's going on in Scotland and the issues with Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmond. But it also said, you know, whilst on the one hand, you know, Conservatives in England are, are looking at Sturgeon and saying, you know, implying that she broke the ministerial code, well, who, who, was, who was actually found to actually break the ministerial code in the UK, in England, sorry, Pretty Patel. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just there's so much it just adds to the constant already mistrust in society we'll talk about mistrust when we talk about the race report later but all of this sort of shoveling under the carpet you know um oh did we do something wrong oh did that appear wrong oh well let's keep going um it's just constant every month there's another story about either either corruption or perceived corruption which is 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 just as important really in, in certain respects because a lot of what the civil service do especially when it comes to procurement um their emphasis isn't simply on uh stopping stopping corruption or stopping anything that might seem to be um illegal but it's also the perception of it because it's important that people uh people are, are doing the right thing but also seem to be doing the right thing so 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 don't get me wrong i'm not um i'm, I'm with you there's 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 a lot to be answered and you're right a lot of it wasn't covered this week um again it's wrong to say that this wasn't covered at all because again on twitter on monday when this came out you know people I were saying i did not say oh, it wasn't covered at all well, that, it was, those words never left my mouth okay well you implied and and other people but other people have said that that it's not been you know this this thing with Johnson, it has been covered it is, um, but it it's has not been, been covered in the way for, it has been it has been covered but it's not been covered in the way that my mum would know about this news but you could apply that to, I dare say, a lot of other things too. Because yes, absolutely. If you're not, if you're There's not... a failure of the fourth estate, if we're being honest. The, the media yeah. is not doing its job in terms of spreading news equally. The, the news is not like, especially not, do, and I don't want to just talk about the BBC. They're all in cahoots or not in cahoots. They're not doing their jobs properly at all. It's a failure for this information to be getting out. There's a failure for them to hold them to account. You know, we're having press conferences and these, um, these questions are not coming up repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. They're not pressing the government so enough that it is reaching back to us. And I think that is a failure. Yeah, yeah, there was, um, so so uh, just for anybody who doesn't know who Jennifer R. Curie is, they both had a relationship uh, whilst, so they had a relationship whilst Johnson was married uh, whilst he, and also whilst he was mayor. And so this came out, this, this actually came out last year, but it sort of resurfaced this year with some new details. And, um, you know, she, her business, as I was saying, she's a tech entrepreneur. Her business received public money from, from London's mayor, mayoralty, so from the mayor's office when he was met. So it certainly, it demands, it demands an inquiry because you can't just be, we can't just have public funds dished out to, to friends. And sadly, it seems it happens far too much. I mean, it's that's what this has been a very large transfer of wealth from the public person to private funds. Coronavirus, that's, that's what they've been doing. The money's disappearing before our very eyes. It's even disappearing. We can see where it's gone. Nowhere. Yeah, I certainly million. think it should give us pause to, to consider 
throwing stones from glass houses when 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 you know certain personalities in the media or in public life you know want to denigrate politicians in other countries most of the time mm-hmm. african countries absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know and uh, it should definitely give those sorts of people pause to look after look after our own backyard first yeah your own backyard is stinking so this week david lammy mp4 Tottenham is it he was on uh, his his regular LBC show speaking about uh, being English and there was a caller who called in to essentially tell Uncle David uh, you're not English you might be able to be call yourself British but you're not English and um, she then went on to say uh, you know that she as a white woman couldn't go to the Caribbean and let you know for argument's sake she couldn't go to Barbados and, and call herself a, a Barbadian to which David responded by saying, well, no, that's not right, is it? Because there are people in Barbados who are who have English, white English ancestry. They've been there for three, four hundred years and they call themselves Barbadian. So that was a slight aside. But her main point was telling David Lamy that he uh, he's not allowed to be English. He's not allowed to call himself English because it's not true. And this is something that's come up before. But this week, the clip actually you know, went viral. Uh, but it is something that's come up before where he has been very defensive of his uh of his englishness so before we uh go into my take tell me what you think about that um i will say that my view has changed somewhat um we did talk about this earlier in the week and it got me to thinking and like i i says i said um i personally don't agree I don't class myself as English. I do believe it is an ethnicity that is, you know, can be argued. And if you, as a person, if David Lammy wants to identify himself as English, he can. Who am I to tell him that you can't, you know, be what you want to be, self-identify as what you want to be. I personally see his demands to identify himself as English as a way that he is using to virtue signal and to separate himself from us, as in, you know, and not even to use an us as a collective, but to say, you know, I'm not like those other blacks. I'm this type of black, you know, I want a seat at the table. I'm not, you know, one of those ones who's going to be shouting in the, the, the street talking about defund the police and, you know, stop, you know, heavy handedness, et cetera, et cetera. So that to me, that's what it feels like, whether that, that is his true um, feelings behind it. I don't know, but that's what it feels like. He feels like he's like, I want to be with the in-group. I'm not part of that out-group, you know. I'm, my heritage is here. It's not anywhere else. I don't, like, I don't have, my my heritage is not spread across the world. It's just here for him. But I don't know. That's, but if he wants to be English, he can be English. Who am I to judge? Come through Voltaire. I disagree with what you say, but I defend your, to the death, your right to say it. Not to the death. No, not to the death, but there's still, still quite it's inconvenience me. Yes, no. I think so. I mean, look, I, I disagree. I think that it's, I think you can consider English to be an ethnicity. I still think that's arguable. Um, but yes, let's grant that. But I think it's a, it's a narrow definition because England is also a nation. England is also a country and should God forbid, our Scottish cousins venture off into independence. My passport will no longer say the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. My passport will say England. And so, um, as I said, England, even now, constituting one of the four constituent parts of the United Kingdom, 
is a country. And so to say England or Englishness is just an ethnicity, even if you even if that is true, which as I said, I think there are arguments in favor and against it, it's still it's still a narrow definition. I mean, I'm not gonna die on the hill, you know. Oh, I'm sure David wow. Ramey isn't dying on the hill. Well, he's dying on yes, the hill. Yes, he, he is, is dying, dying on the hill. On hill. And I think that's what that bristles, is that he is so determined to die on the hill and everyone's like, bro, who cares? Like, why is it... I mean, well, the lady who called in certainly cares. Yeah, I mean, and, but we care probably, in a case she's of... She's clearly... Like... Ugh. She's clearly symptomatic of a lot of other people who would care too. So, you know, a lot of people do care. Yes, but you know what I mean when I say who that cares? That he should it's not like, call himself... Not that he should not call himself that, but, like, why are you so pressed? Like, we got... like. We are. We got things going on at the moment that we need you. You could be lending your voice to, and here you are shouting down between ten and I don't know what twelve with this woman about your right to be English, and you won't stop going on about it. Okay, all right. Have a toad in the hole. Let's move on. I mean, she she did ask him the question, so to be fair, what's he supposed to do? Just cut her off and go to the next court? Yes. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think LBC would let him do that. <laughs> yeah, go on. Sorry, go no, on. No, no, you're right. You're right. Sure. Yeah, I just think it's, I think it's an interesting discussion. I think it's definitely generational. If I think of my parents' generation and they they are, would, they would either define themselves as being from where they're, they are from or where their parents are from, you know, in the Caribbean, um, or, or at best, they might describe themselves as British. I think that's passed on to our generation too, where a lot of people, I saw this on Twitter a lot this week, where people were very keen to, well, no, let me rephrase that. Not keen, yeah. but they were, yeah, they were more comfortable identifying as British, if anything, but not English. I think a lot of that has its roots, um, not merely in the racism of sort of the 50s and 60s, but also the racism of the 80s and 90s with a lot of the football hooliganism, uh, National Front, BNP, where the St. George's flag in England specifically above Britain a lot of the time was um, co-opted in that, in those movements. And I so, mean, you, you know, people now. have, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, to a lesser extent, but yes, you do uh, where people co-opt England or Englishness as something parochial um, and tribal and yeah, for them alone. We don't have access to, we don't have access mm. to your Englishness. So it's, some, it's, a, it's a place that we're excluded from. Not that I'm not that any of us are trying to go, but it's you know been quite clear you're not welcoming that. Okay, and so why am I trying to fight to be associated with something, you know that but these guys the use when they come to come and, to try and do a race war in Trafalgar Square? No thanks, keep it. On the flip side, though, I think it's dangerous to just define yourself within within the um, restrictions of what other people say you can or can't be. Because let's take for example, I go to if I go to Jamaica tomorrow. Right. Obviously, mm -hmm. when when well, when the borders are open next time I go to Jamaica, mm -hmm. guarantee like every other time I go to Jamaica, somebody will call me. Somebody will somebody will just and not even in a malicious way. Somebody might just in a funny way, greet me as yo English. Mm -hmm. Well, go on English. They'll call me mm -hmm. English as almost as if it's a Christian name, my first name, because mm -hmm. I'm seen as that. So and and, th and some of those some of those would deny me my jamaican heritage and say that oh you're not no you're not jamaican you're english so so what about that my fear is my worry that's why they, we I have our own category as members of the diaspora as british yeah. jamaicans i mean it's it's it's, it's wishy-washy I mean, otherwise my, my, why not my, like 
my my thing is this my thing is this if you constantly define yourself over against what other people don't want to include you in you you end up stateless you end up stateless we end up somewhere in the middle of the atlantic because if you're if the if the country where your parents or your grandparents were born no matter how many times you might have gone you might have lived there if you weren't born there if you weren't raised there if they don't want to recognize you but then you come back here and people hear like this woman on david lammy show tell them oh you're not english david so that's so what, what are you supposed to do if you just if you're just going to define yourself based on those people and what they don't want you to be like i said i'm, I'm you not talking up... about but i'm not talking about i'm talking about that it can be a contributing factor but absolutely not i'm not saying that's why we define ourselves as britishness it's a personal choice i don't see anything wrong with defining myself as british and i don't see it as a case of oh, you know somebody i'm allowing somebody else to do but i do not feel english i do not feel ethnically english i do not feel like that's a part of my racial identity and i believe English is part of a racial identity. It's not mine. Mm. Uh, I think these race slash ethnicity slash nationality discussions, which pop up all over. Yeah, it's true. They are difficult. Sometimes sometimes interesting, but I think people (laughs) do. I think you're right. What you said then, that's precisely it. Difficult. I think people try to simplify these things beyond what they they should be simplified uh, I just disagree totally disagree with it I think these are nuanced and complicated things ethn- yeah it feels like it's like, it like be just there's flattened. like an ethno-nationalist just like um <clears throat> opposing argument I think in this but realistically like I said you know to bosh it on the end if if David really wants to be English be free broski go and do that to the main course this week we are taking a little dive into the commission on race and ethnic disparities report which came out this wednesday yes the there's a lot to talk about and we are only going to be talking about this for a few minutes um it is part of the main course but we probably could do with a full episode just talking about this and we probably still wouldn't scratch the surface but there are a few things to note and we should uh, pick up on however the first thing i wanted to talk about was the The report came out with 24 recommendations. The very last recommendation was, the proposal was, we should get rid of BAME. Now, Mm -hmm. I think we are owed some compensation or some sort of payment, (laughs) all right? Because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that we started this podcast three weeks ago called Not BAME. And the, 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 the pinnacle recommendation of this seminal report is we should disaggregate the term BAME. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. Right, I don't I think, think it's coincidence. I think we're basically, they basically a lobby. Just ripped off our concept. Hmm? Absolutely, I agree. However, we but, should be serious. Yeah, we, we should, should be serious. serious. We, we should, should still get paid, but we should be serious. Absolutely. Um, so yes, the the very last recommendation was uh, that we should disaggregate BAME. BAME should no longer be used by government or any official sources as uh, a descriptor of of people in society. There are a number of arguments, a number of some of them which we've already gone over. The reason why we have this show, the reason why we called it not BAME, you know, involving, you know, things like the fact that you cannot just lump people by what they are not. So just calling yes. people BAME, the implication is, OK, you are not white. Um, it's it's very weird to, to, to define people by what they're not. You know, another reason is, you know, BAME covers so many different groups that to just make uh, sweeping statements hardly ever applies to to all of those groups and so they made part of the recommendations in that is that at the very least you should have five groups um so uh white black asian mixed other 
there was also mm -hmm. in the report, uh, we will talk about what we didn't like in the report, um, but another good thing in the report I felt was the fact that even those five uh, designators were seen as not helpful either, but sort of the last resort, what you can use if you can't do anything better. Because even within those groups, you're talking about so many different subdivided groups. So within Black, mm -hmm. you're talking Black African, Black Caribbean. You might even be talking Black Caribbean boys, Black African boys, Black Caribbean girls, Black African girls. Within the Asian one, you could be talking Bangladeshi, Indian, Pakistani, Chinese, Sri Lankan. There are just so many different groups. So that was the final one. Um, before we maybe pick up on a couple of things about the report, do you want to just give an overview of what the report was, why it was commissioned, and sort of the main takeaway um, conclusions from it? I don't, but I will do anyway. Uh, this report was a investigation into uh, the effects or the existence of institutional racism by a group of people who do not believe in institutional racism, headed and directed by people who do not believe in institutional racism. Um, <clears throat> it does, I'd say in the port, you know, that it was uh, triggered by the recent BLM marches and how they, they wanted to respond to that in a way and see if we weren't just all, you know, making it up in our heads. And I believe their conclusion is that there are his, there is a historical experiences of racism which has been passed down through the generations into a belief which feeds a belief of institutional racism but they have found that there exists individual acts of racism but there is no institutional racism you know individual uh, behaviors may stop people of color black people um, reaching senior director roles, but there is no institutional racism, but the institutions that they are in are race, are contain racist people, but there is no actual racism in those institutions as a whole. I think we can say that there is a flawed metric there to say the least, but, you know, not to give it a value judgment just yet. It also talked about <clears throat> experiences in schools. It talked, it covered, you know, the usual things that they cover, school, the health service. It sort of talked, like tried to talk about the COVID disparities and then said the stuff that came out in the previous COVID report with us being affected, uh, quote unquote BAME people or people who fit within the BAME uh, moniker are uh, more likely to die at higher rates. They said that it's not because they fit into the moniker of BAME, but it's something else. You know, it could be poverty, it could be class, it could be working on the front lines, it could be living in closer quarters, but none of that is due to institutional racism. It's just, you know, luck of the draw. Yeah. Uh, I'll pick up yeah, on that. Go. So that was something which I, for for all of the attempts to position this report as something deep and analytical and nuanced, and I'm not going to say it wasn't in parts because it's 260 odd pages. There is a lot of data. I would encourage anybody to at least read the foreword, the introduction, and the 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 summaries. Um, you can find that on, on the gov.uk gov, gov website and we'll post that in, in the in the notes. So even if you don't want to read all 260 pages. But as I was saying, it, it positioned and people have positioned it as this sort of really deep, deep analysis. 
as I said, in some ways it is. But if you just take what you've said there with regards to COVID, and so um, there was a, one of the commissioners was on, I think it was either Channel 4 or BBC Newsnight earlier this week. And so something that we'll, they'll point to, they'll say, okay, well, you know, as you said, it's not because it's not down to race. It's because, you know, because of poverty, it's because of low socioeconomic class. It's because people um, have, have certain other uh, living conditions. So, so you can say, okay, that's cool. But why is that? There we go. Why the are problem. certain groups in in certain positions that they're in? So even if and which I, I don't why. I don't grant I don't grant that there is no institutional racism at all in the UK today. But even if you grant that, you still have to contend with asking the question: Why did those people find themselves in those positions? Because if you want to say there's no institutional racism today, you have to reckon with the fact that it was at least at the very least past institutional racism which led people to be where they are and that would mean they're mm -hmm. they're living with the results of interracial mm -hmm. in, institutional exactly racism. and there seems to be there seems to be a, an unwillingness to 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 use use a, a use a lens of use a historical lens in a lot of this and it's it's all well and good looking at current situations it's all well and good saying that things have changed things have got better again those points are arguable but you can't do that divorced from history and um, this came up in when they were analysing the when they were looking at educational attainment, and there was this there's 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 a lot of talk about you know black Caribbean specifically boys over against black African boys, and again uh, there was a, a reporter on on this on another show this week was was really a, yeah yeah. A, a, criticizing the report for not looking at different experiences of people and, and when they came to the UK and how when they came and how the differences in when they came affect where they are today so mm -hmm. yeah there, there's definitely a, a real ignore an ignoring of, of history and and not just simply ignoring history for history's sake but ignoring history and then not really then uh, recognizing that history plays a part in how things are today so Another point uh, which which really um, got people very annoyed was in the foreword, there is a reference to slavery and the teaching of slavery in schools. And the the point Ooh, made by the chair. Read the two lines. I will read Go it. On, you can um, give so us your was... lovely northern dulcet tones. I mean, uh, you said it. So the chair, Tony Sewell, uh, in... In, in the foreword, uh, was speaking about the making of modern Britain, you know, who's speaking about the calls for decolonizing, decolonizing the curriculum. And he said this. There is a new story about the Caribbean experience, which speaks to the slave period, not only being about profit and suffering, but how culturally African people transformed themselves into a remodeled African dash Britain, end quote. So that got a lot of people's backs up. Uh, this week, because um, you know, I mean, juxtaposing, I, I, I read that and didn't read it in the way that it seems like a lot of people did read it. I read it very much in line with what I preach a lot, which is that we should be very impressed and very. Uh, it, it's it's a point of pride for me. Uh, let me not say we, I'll speak for myself. It's a point of pride for me, especially reading Caribbean history, Jamaican history specifically, just because that's my background. Um, but in Caribbean history generally, how people 
who were from different parts of West Africa, who didn't speak the same languages, who didn't always have the same customs, who under monumental oppression and and death in many parts, you know, they, people were worked to death. Through all of that, they managed to build entire new identities and cultures. Mm -hmm. So I always mm -hmm. preached that. So I took that, how I usually think about that subject. And I, I read that through those lens. Now, you're, let's good, not you're argue ascribing about good faith to bad faith actors. Right. So let's not let's not even discuss whether I am being too charitable in, in that reading or whether mm -hmm. I'm accurate or not. That that's that aside, even if I am right, and even if you put the most charitable reading of it, the very fact that you juxtapose that with let's not talk about slavery as only being about profit and suffering, it's just it's tone deaf. It's totally mm -hmm. tone deaf. And it and it and you wouldn't here again, you wouldn't say that about any other atrocity that's happened to a people and rightly so you wouldn't say that you can't you even though two two things might be correct but you can't you, you don't just put two things that are correct together just like that because you just you destroy what you're saying um so that's what I think about that what do you think about that and what do you think about the reaction that that generated I think that line? okay I think you separate them because you can't like you said you can't just say you know talk about the resilience and the the beauty of creating our own cultures from suffering and then you can't say well you know slavery wasn't just this slavery absolutely was just that it was an um an industrialist capitalist endeavor that led to the genocide of our people um that is separate from the building from the rubbles of the culture that we were able to put together a beautiful wonderful culture that expands the west indies and the diaspora and it's lovely that's great one like but that is separate from the slave trade. That is our. That is ours. This, what has that got to do with what? What? What is? What does that have to do with modern Britain? It's ours that we created. Yes, we are part of the British diaspora, but the cultures that we created and that we've brought with us and that are over there has nothing to do with Britain. They don't get to to try and co-opt that and use it as a you know as something to wave a flag about excuse me that's disgusting yeah i think that it seems like one of the main conclusions of this report is that there are racial disparities there is racism and that again again i keep preaching but about it the same does thing. not permeate the institutions that yeah, those yeah. individuals live in but a lot of people have reported on this and being saying oh well they're saying that there's no racism in britain that's that's not what they said so again going back to what i was saying before if you're going to critique something, you have to critique it accurately. And there is much to I critique. Agree. There's no point making straw man. There is, there is enough in this report yes, to you're right. There's enough in there to critique. You're right. I do agree so with that. They, they were saying there are racial disparities, there is racism, but the system is not deliberately rigged. Mm -hmm. um, it's a big open question, and we've not got long, but yeah. speak to that. I just think, you know, using the words deliberately rigged, the mechanisms are built to favour, like, the mechanisms of this country were built by white men, so they will inherently benefit white men. The same way that when you make an algorithm, you might not make it racist, but if it's made by people who have biases, it will then use those biases. Those biases will be built into its algorithm. That will be into its, in, you know, its genetic makeup in that sense. So the genetic makeup of Britain benefits these individuals. So in its usual workings, unless everything is made to counteract that, its natural workings will benefit those individuals. Of course it will, because come on, 
Mm. Uh, it's interesting you read you, same, you wait, mentioned that. Finish, I think also yeah, just sure. in the same way that the levers of government, the levers of um, entertainment, the levers of media benefit those people, benefit people who went to certain schools, are privately educated. Even our, um, you know, our big, you know, movie stars and entertainers, they were privately educated, a lot of them. That's, that is how this country was formed. That is what it was formed to serve, landed gentry, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what it's doing. It's the mechanisms of Britain. Yeah, I think interesting point you made there um, about uh, algorithms and artificial, artificial intelligence. So the third recommendation, as I said, mm -hmm. there are 24 recommendations. The third one was improve the transparency and use of artificial intelligence. And part of what they said there, they want a mandatory transparency obligation on all public sector organizations applying algorithms that have an impact on significant decisions affecting individuals. So there, they are saying, we recommend that government um, introduces something so that AI and all of these uh, these things which are using technology are, are not discriminating against people based on what they look like. So my question is, okay, well, why do we need that recommendation? Are you saying that yeah. is happening? Are you saying that is happening to a degree? I dare, dare say, are you saying that is happening systemically, institutionally? Ooh. Ooh. Oh. I mean, and, and you can see that shot through in quite a few of the recommendations, you know, um, a similar thing. It's like, well, sort of, why, why, why do you need why do you need that recommendation if this thing is not already happening yeah, exactly there are systemic issues afoot yeah. that require systemic changes but you want systemic changes but there's no systemic issues make it make sense make so, it make sense one of the commissioners uh was on i believe it was Newsnight, one of them shows this week and he was being questioned and one of the points that really got on my tits was where he oh. said, um, I do have them, by the way. I need to exercise more. Okay. Anyway, that aside, um, and this is something which you can see in the report and which I heard from him and I've heard from others who have been championing the report, where they will basically say, what's the effect of racism isn't a problem because black people work in the NHS. Not sorry, not black people, BAME people, ethnic mm -hmm. minority people work in the NHS. Mm -hmm. It's like so. My so I'm thinking. Wait a minute. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's just look at the 1950s, when a lot of people from the Caribbean and um, and the subcontinent came over here. Well, there were a lot of them working in the NHS then. A lot of them specifically mm -hmm. came over because Dude. the new NHS needed workers. So needed if you're staff. so based on that logic, well, I guess there was no institutional racism in the 50s, which I doubt no. even the commissioners of this report would say. I believe they definitely didn't. Right, just lazy analysis like that. There was another thing. So they're also telling us that we need to get rid of BAME, yet a proof, one, one, one proof that there is no institutional racism in the UK anymore is because just look at, look at uh, government. So this was in the introduction uh, where he says, look at the Home Secretary, the Chancellor, the Attorney General and the Business Secretary. Well, just look there. But who, let's look at who, who those people are. The Home Secretary, the Chancellor, and the business secretary are all of Indian descent. So on the one hand, you're telling us we need to disaggregate BAME because it's too wide ranging. We need to be specific, but then you're using a sleight of hand to say, hey, there mm -hmm. are no problems. Look at everybody at the top table of government. But then you're using BAME as a catch all to sort of cover everybody else. So talking out of both sides of the mouth in the same section of the report. The whole report is talking out of both sides of their mouth. Because anyway. realistically, their data doesn't back up 
their um, conclusion at all. So, I mean, they were saying just uh, they were saying that you know it's not all down to race. You saw again, this is in the report, but also um, I found it very interesting. Uh, Conservative MP, I've forgotten his last name, Abimbola. Forgotten Bim's last name. Anyway, Falami. Yes, so he's uh, he's a Conservative MP. Interestingly, he doesn't go by his name, Abimbola. He goes by Bim. Why do you, why why? I'd like to ask him why he goes by Bim and not uh, Bim his, his name, which is only three three syllables. Is that because he recognizes that people may take issue with him by just seeing his name? That's a question I'd ask him. But he he was on. Uh, they put him up against Diane Abbott. And what I found interesting though is they were both essentially saying the same thing. They were both saying that it's not all not all disparities are due to race. They're due to other things mm-hmm. like class. They're due to geography. Mm-hmm. They're they're due to um, household income. But my problem with this report and people like Bim and other people who who who've been reporting on the report is that they're quick to say that very true thing, but then in the process almost just downplay race as if it doesn't exist and if it's not a thing. Nobody, I have I have never heard, and this is in the report, in the introduction, where they, the, the foreword in the introduction are very defensive, but they lambast people for saying, oh, it's all down to race. I've never heard anybody say that. Every no one's ever said that. Race alone. I have never heard that from any section of It's a cross-section of, of issues. Yeah, of course not. No one's saying that. Nobody says that. So why can't we just start from where we actually all agree and go from there instead of building up a straw man of what people, other people uh, say and then going off in different directions? That's my last because, point. Because the only way to, to prove, to, to get to their a foregone conclusion is to say that that's all we're talking about because nobody here is saying, you know, if a black person comes as an immigrant or from here comes from a from a certain class or is that they're going to have the same outcomes of somebody who is working class we're talking about the cross sections if you you know the same way that we say you can't just say you know the white working class because there are black working class people or when you talk about the working class you do you mean everybody else who's part of the working class no you don't when you say that you often mean the white working class that's not what we're saying you have to look at it as a whole but they've they've used very separatist um, examples to prove the issue for the whole. So they're using individual examples of success and saying, well, if this person can do it, then everybody should be able to do it. When we all know that it's the exact opposite. Yeah, definitely. For this week's Across the Pond, we are going to be looking at a couple of stories from the United States. First up, the new Georgia voting law in the state of Georgia. Georgia famously flipped from red to blue this year for the first time in 30 years. The last time it went for Democrats uh, was in 92 with Clinton. And uh, also they had a couple of elections for the Senate in January, a couple of runoff elections, and they both went for Democrats as well, including the first black senator from Georgia in ever. And that is the Reverend Raphael, sorry, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who's the uh, he's the pastor of Martin Luther King's old church in Atlanta. So in light of that and other things that have been happening around the states in the last election, there have been a number of new laws which have been introduced over the past couple of months, which some say restrict voting rights uh, and some quite dramatically. 
there was a lot of talk this week from Stacey Abrams, who famously went tried to become governor of Georgia a couple of years ago and was instrumental in helping that big turnout this year. And also from Joe Biden, the current president, they were speak they were using language like uh, you know these laws being a return to Jim Crow, you know being a return to the past in terms of restricting voter rights, specifically African American voter rights. So I just pick out I'll pick out a couple of things that this law does. Uh, one of the things it does is it bans people from handing out food and water um, to to people who are in voting lines. Unlike in Britain, where most of the time our voting lines are sort of non-existent or very short, in the States, there's a lot of examples of where people will be queuing for hours to cast their vote. And so this law bans people handing out water and drinks to people, sorry, drinks in general to people who are in voting lines. It also um, restricts the number of drop boxes that are used so uh, those are used for people who are often voting early they'll get their ballot and they'll drop it off also absentee voting restrictions where people will get other people to vote for them uh, and then restrictions on things like the, the opening times and, and and things like that so so what do you think what do you think about this i mean 42 states have recently introduced new voting restriction laws in the past month so I think this I think this is definitely seems to be a concerted effort to restrict voting rights to <clears throat> states or regions within states as well, where they think that there might it might be, you know, a tie or a very small margin. I think it's, you know, the usual voting restrictions uh, platform that the Republican Party is seen to engage in. I think honestly it feels like the Democrats have been caught on the back foot as per. They're targeting, you know, lower income, income um, neighborhoods, neighborhoods of color, neighborhoods which have high, you know, insecure job rates, et cetera, et cetera. The usual stuff. It's all very playbook. I don't know why nobody knew it was happening, to be honest. This seems yeah, like it's a, it's a shrewd, it's a shrewd political move. I will say that. Of course. And there was there was actually a case. So one of the other 42 cases which you mentioned has been uh, or changes which have been attempted in the past couple of months. Um, so so this this Georgia law has been challenged by on three different fronts, by three different organizations. So there's there's legal challenges. In that. But there's a, there's another legal challenge for an earlier law in Arizona. And there was a quote from the lawyer who's representing the Republicans in court. And this was actually this has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And he said eliminating suppressive rules, quote, puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. So this Republican lawyer just said it outright in front, it, of, yeah. in front of the a Supreme Court judge saying, look, yeah. we got to change stuff. I mean, Donald Trump's on record last year or the year before by saying um, something to the effect of, you know, if we don't do X, we'll never, you'll never get a Republican winning again. So there's definitely a lot of fear from Republicans that they are the growing in the growing minority and if they don't do something to to help themselves with regards okay. to laws around elections and every state runs their own elections in america then they may be they may be out out, out in the cold for, for good yeah, think, though, obsolete well i think though um i was i was looking the most egregious things to me that jumped out was the water one but also there was another one i didn't mention before this didn't actually make it to the final bill it got taken out but they also tried to stop voting on Sundays. Now, 
that particularly affects black church efforts. So um, black churches in America, they have they've traditionally had this thing called uh, souls to the polls, where Sundays will be used as part of the church service or after the church service to get people registered to vote and to actually vote. And so the, so part of the, the, the initial proposal, one of the initial proposals for the law was to take that out and to not allow Sunday voting. That's since been removed. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's obviously a concerted effort. You'd have to be a moron to have even a cursory knowledge of current and past US politics and see, and then coupling that with seeing what's going on to think, okay, yeah, sure, it is all innocent. There's nothing there. I mean, like I said, the guy said it himself. If we don't do this, we're going to be at a competitive disadvantage. I think, though, there is there should be a bit of caution with it as well, because some of these things, when you read in, when you go into the detail, it's not as some some of the some of the measures are not as bad as they first appear, and and could be argued to be helping. So let's take, for example, the the one about uh, stopping food and water being given to people in line. So the argument there is, and I'm not saying I necessarily believe the argument, but the argument there is that it, it stops people being harassed whilst they're voting. So it stops campaigners campaigning whilst people are queuing up to vote. It's a valid argument in theory. So then the question would be, okay, well, if you're not going to allow people, especially in places like Georgia, where it's bloody hot, queuing up for hours, how are they supposed to stay hydrated? So exactly. their response. So so you've got to do something in return. But what they've done in return to me just doesn't really doesn't really pass the smell test. So what they've done is they have turned around and said, okay, we're not allowed, we're not letting people within 150 feet of a polling station. But what we'll do is we will we will allow polling stations to set up self-service water uh, facilities. So, you know, language like will allow them to do it. So it doesn't mean they have to, it doesn't doesn't compel mm -hmm. them to. Um also, for it. How 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 often, you know, how what's the distance between water water facilities? Is it just going to be one at the start and one at the end? What about for the three hours when you're queuing? So I think things like that are, you know, patently obvious to most people looking that they are they are efforts to 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 restrict voting. However, it's on a scale. And I'm just not convinced that it's I'm not convinced by the Jim Crow language that it's taking that is it really because they were explicit. A lot of the people who have come out this week and been against it have been explicit in saying, you know, it takes us back to the 60s. It takes people back to, you know, the 50s and pre and pre the mm. civil rights era. I'm not convinced by that argument either. Yeah, maybe it's not there yet, but as they often we often say, slippery slope. Yeah, we do know what you think, but I think it's like it's the same thing with um Trump and all the judges, isn't it? You know, it's the key your eye being off the ball, and the next thing yeah. you know, there's a hundred and there's a hundred and thirteen empty judge appointments, which means that you can flip the justice system to be mm -hmm. further right in the majority of the country. This yeah. is the issue. So, and even though up, I am build up, build up. even though I am very um averse to slippery slope arguments following on from what you said there was a law um about 20 years ago which was passed in america which basically said states which had a historic record of suppressing black votes had to clear any new change in their state election law with the congress so with the, the federal government however the supreme court struck that down a couple of a few years ago so again if you're looking at you can look at that as a, you can potentially look at that as a sort of slippery slope um, movement in terms of the judiciary once you have enough judges on the benches who will who will let those kinds of laws either not be enforced or rule against them then 
that is something that should be watched out for. So, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing entirely with that in terms of looking at what's done year on year to continually and gradually push certain rights away. So it's my turn this week for thought of the day, and it's just a short one. Um, I think you know, there's as part of the outrage cycle, we've all just been discussing the recent race report. I just have to remember that we're asking, we're asking the institution to investigate itself for institutional racism. We're asking somebody who's on the record as lying, who's on the record as calling black people pickaninnies, calling Muslim women um, who wear the niqab letterboxes. What are we expecting? We weren't expecting much. What we've got is what we've got. And I think it's to be expected. So let's stop looking to the institutions to investigate themselves. We know what's the truth. Let's not let them gaslight us. Let's continue striving for justice, striving for equality. And what is important to us to be able to feel safe and to be as anti-racist as possible in the society that we're living in. We can always be striving to further anti-racism. Why not? What's wrong with that? It's not a bad thing. Let's stop, let's stop looking to these people. If you don't believe in institutional racism, you don't have to, that's fine. We know it exists and we're gonna go about dismantling that in any way that we can. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars. First thing is pronounced moise. If it's an I with the two little dots, it's called a tremor. Tremor gives it the E sound. It is the moise, for example. Obviously the name. And I know this because one of my closest family French friends, who is Martinican, is a who's a professor in France, well, Martinique is her last name is Moise. It's the French word for Moses, the French translation of the name Moses.